Praise the Lord, you guys. I want to welcome also our beautiful live stream uh, audiences, uh, different parts of the country, and brothers and sisters throughout the world that are watching by live stream. Praise God for uh, uh, our live stream audiences. And it's great. You know, we just visited uh, Texas recently, and a few times the church has made trips over there. Mexico, uh, Jonathan, I just talked to you last week, and they're doing, having some spiritual warfare, but they're growing in the Lord together. So keep them in prayer as a fellowship. And just our other live streams, we praise the Lord for uh, the different folks we've met and the ones we haven't met yet. Just great to see there's brothers and sisters all around the world that just love Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, if you could go there to Matthew chapter 28. It's the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, one of the synoptic Gospels. And I just want to read the first 10 verses or so as a kind of a, a launching pad. And we see that it says, Now after the Sabbath... As began to dawn, and after the Sabbath, the Sabbath is on Saturday, as began to dawn, began to dawn that would be Sunday morning. In fact, that whole time of darkness was the first part of Sunday morning because uh, the Lord counted days. It was d- dark, and then it was light, and that would make one day. We go light and then dark. But So Jesus had risen on the first day of the week. It says, now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. I love that. Just kicking back. He's risen, right? And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards uh, shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that, what, that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Then he states, go quickly now, or go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Verse 8. And they left the tomb quickly and and with fear and what? Great joy. And ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Yes, Jesus was worshipped. He only worshipped God, and he never told them not to worship. In fact, God commands the angels of God in Hebrews 1 to worship Jesus, who's creator of all things, along with the Father. Verse 10, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. And Jesus appeared for like 40 days to the apostles and to the disciples on the road to Emmaus and showed him himself through the scriptures and the typologies of his resurrection. He had personal encounter with Peter and appeared to all the disciples more than one time. And uh, we go over and over again through the different accounts of his resurrection. And it's, it's quite amazing, but I wanted to fix your eyes on a couple main points is that they had great joy. And the fact that he's risen should give you great joy no matter what trials you're facing in life. And uh, it was momentous. I mean, the gospel, the very date, we're in 2021. The very date of our calendar is based on the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. The fact that he is who he claimed to be. And specifically on his birth, the fact that he came to the world. We divide history by before Christ, B.C. and A.D. The Lord Jesus Christ uh, transformed uh, millions and millions of lives. And hundreds of millions of people to the day confess him. And hundreds of millions of people are worshiping him today in various ways celebrating the fact that he is risen from the dead. Now, uh, 
Last Sunday, I did a message called Christus Victor. And Christus Victor is how we celebrate the fact that Jesus died for our sins upon the cross in the vicarious or substitutionary atonement of Christ. Uh, And we celebrate that aspect of what Christ did. But sometimes we don't focus much on the fact, because a lot of people aren't even aware of it, that through his death, he also got victory over Satan. Uh, And we went through several verses on that, which are very, very powerful uh, verses. And then the following Wednesday, which was just a few days ago, I did a message on the resurrection. We'll have another message on his death tied to Christus Victor next Sunday because I'll be going through an Old Testament typology. And anybody who knows typology in this fellowship pretty much loves typology, pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. And I've already got that message really close to done. Uh, and I'm doing that f- following Sunday. But uh, today, or last Wednesday though, if you missed last Wednesday's message, I encourage you to get it because it got a lot of people fired up. And it was about 10 glorious evidences of Christ's resurrection. The name of this message is 10 glorious uh, benefits or blessings of Christ's resurrection. So we'll be looking at 10 glorious blessings of his resurrection. Last Wednesday was 10 glorious evidences of his resurrection. And I'll go through them really quickly because I spent probably just over an hour on them Wednesday. Uh, Number one, these are evidences when you take one at a time, they're pretty powerful. Taken with all 10, they're just mind-boggling. In fact, I think it was Aileen uh, Paneri had come up to me a few days later and said, man, she, she mentioned that she really loved the message. And she said, and when you look at all those 10 reasons written down, she says, so powerful. And I was, that was my prayer is that we, people would be excited about the fact that we have evidence. We, aren't, we don't have a, just any old religion. We have true faith in the resurrected Christ. There's, it's not based on somebody saying, Muhammad wrote this. Big deal what Muhammad wrote, okay? I want to see prophecy and prophecy fulfilled. I want to see the resurrection, resurrection of the Messiah, amen? And that's where you have radical evidence. And number one, the transformation of the disciples' attitudes from hopelessness and despair and fear. These big fishermen like Peter hiding behind closed doors because the Messiah, Jesus, had been crucified and was, were they next because he was considered an enemy of the state. To him appearing to them and then their attitudes changing and becoming bold as lions. Amen. Peter preaching the, the sermon at Pentecost, you know, just after Jesus ascended. Their transformational attitudes could only be explained by the fact that they had seen the resurrected Christ. Number two is the fact that the apostles, many of them died as martyrs. Peter crucified by Caesar Nero. The apostle Paul beheaded by Caesar Nero. Go through the book of Acts, you'll see disciples like Stephen stoned to death. Okay? You'll see James, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. His life was transformed too. He dies a martyr's death. Okay? And we go on and on and on. Most of the disciples, many of the disciples were, were, were killed in horrible ways. And you, don't, you know what you don't do? You might die for what you believe is true, but it's a lie. But you don't die for what you know is a lie. You don't live a life where you're imprisoned over and over again in poverty, sharing something that you would know is a lie. And if you end up doing it for some other purpose or motivation, you would recant to get out of it. But these guys went to their deaths and they would know if Jesus rose from dead because they were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. Amen? So that's number two. And to me, that's a powerful evidence. And Paul, the apostle Paul, uh, the conversion of Saul the terrorist. Before the Apostle Paul was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul the terrorist. 
and he was having Christians put to death. He was one of the leaders among the Sanhedrin in respect to going and having Christians arrested and dragging people out of their homes, trying to get Jews to renounce Christ as Messiah. He called himself the chief of sinners because of that. But he saw the resurrected Christ who appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Amen. What a radical, radical. Uh, his whole life was transformed. In fact, half, about half of the New Testament letters are written by him. If he wrote the book of Hebrews, over half. Okay. Amazing. Absolutely mind-boggling. Uh, number four, the phenomenal growth of the early, of the Christian church. They were turning the world upside down. The entire Roman Empire, the most radical empire that ever existed at that time in history, was being transformed and impacted so radically that even Constantine had to feign becoming a disciple of Christ and tried to Christianize the empire. And then you had a wedding between the politics of Rome and Christianity, which brought you Catholicism and eventually a different gospel. But guess what? We have the true gospel of Jesus Christ, uncorrupted by the politicians, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ right here, amen, in God's word. So that's, a, that's an ad, a radical proof because no, there's never been such an explosion of any religious faith in the history of humanity. And it was only explained by the, the testimony of the, of the apostles because they had seen the resurrected Christ in the infectious way they had shared their hope. Number five, Sunday became a special day of worship, the Lord's Day. And that seems like, well, that's pretty cool, but how is that an evidence? That's a radical evidence. When you consider the fact that Sunday was a work day, not only for the Jews, but also in the Roman Empire. And the early Christians, which were first all Jews, and then Gentiles began, they began to get up really early in the morning like we did in the Sunday service or earlier to worship Jesus and glorify the Lord and have their church services. According to Acts chapter 20, verse 7. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. According to the early church fathers, they began to worship on Sunday. That was radical, especially if you were a Jew used to worshiping on the Sabbath. Some people even worshiping the Sabbath and putting the Sabbath before God. They were, we, because Jesus rose on Sunday morning. And that, 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 that does, it, there's nothing that can explain that unless it was something so, you know, am amazing, so wonderful that brought such conviction upon them. So I go through detail on each of these 10 in that message, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to go through some of these. The, the sixth evidence, which I love, is that the explanations that try to give us a counter explanation to the resurrection to explain all these different phenomena I'm talking about, they are all just weak by way of comparison of the fact that he rose from the dead. They just all fall to the wayside. They're just inept, bogus. And I look at several of, I look at seven different claims and go into some detail into those seven different claims in that same message when I'm just going through one of the reasons, evidences. And to me, it's a great evidence to see that, wow, <laughs> you know what? Uh, the swoon theory, for instance. Well, when he was nailed to the cross and everything, you know, he, he was buried, but... He didn't die all the way. And he got up and shook it off and rolled the stone away. And yeah, right. Okay. The, the, the Romans were good at a lot of things. And one thing, of the things they were good at was executing people. Okay. They even shoved a, a javelin through his side to make sure he was dead, folks. Okay. And if he, if he would have survived it, he would have become crawling out of the tomb. I'm resurrected. Yeah, right. It wouldn't be a resurrection. It would be a survival, right? But he was resurrected and it doesn't explain all his appearances. It doesn't explain his ascension. It doesn't explain a lot of things. So I go through those various theories. One ridiculous theory of the seven I share is that, well, his body wasn't found in the tomb because it dematerialized into gases 
in the molecular makeup for some strange reason. It just just disappeared and the gas escaped through the, the tomb. That's why it was empty. And his spirit is what appeared to the disciples, not his, not his body. And I'm saying, if you try, it takes a lot more faith to believe these explanations than the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? That he is risen. Number seven, the tomb was never venerated as a place of a buried leader. Tombs are venerated all over the world by different people because of the bones of their leader being in there. Well, guess what? The tomb of Jesus is empty, amen? People go to check it out because it's empty, not to go worship there because someone's in there, amen? And you never have any record of any people or group worshiping a buried Jesus because he is risen. Number eight, the conversion of James, the brother of Jesus. His brethren, if you find out, he was the perfect son, literally. So the brothers and sisters were like, you know, he was the older brother, and at first they were like, okay, it's this feast day, like Feast of Lights. Why don't you go show who you are if you're the Messiah, right? Well, guess what? When he appeared to Jude, who wrote one of the books of the New Testament, when he appeared to James in his resurrection, who is the leader of the church in Jerusalem, even though Peter's there, Peter was not the first pope. You'll read in Acts chapter 15 that Peter makes the final decision at the church there in Jerusalem at the first church council. He, that, that James is not the son of Zebedee, not the brother of John, not the fisherman. That's James, the brother of Jesus, who gets martyred, actually, in the, we read about in the book of Acts, you know. So it's quite amazing when we read uh, the scripture. I'm sorry. One of the Jameses is martyred in the book of Acts, but there's two different Jameses. James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was radically converted. Obviously, Jude was as well. So you have these family members, the family skeptics, converted when they've seen the resurrected Christ. Amen. Number nine, the conversion of the Thomas the Doubter, or the Doubting Thomas. I just talked about you, Aileen. But it was, it was good, though. It was good. Praise God. You love Jesus. That's why it was good. Number nine, the conversion of Thomas the Doubter. That's whom Jesus said, stick your fingers in my wounds and your, your hand in my side. And Thomas is like, the Lord of me, the God of me. And of course, Jehovah's Witnesses don't want to believe he's God, so that cult will say, well, he was just kind of using God's name in vain, you know, or, you know, he said, like, oh my God, no. In the Greek, it's the Lord of me, the God of me, literally, is what it says in the Greek, okay? Because that's the whole thesis of the Gospel of John, that God became flesh, John chapter one, amen? And then the climax is resurrection and the conversion of even of Thomas, the doubting Thomas, to a stalwart of the faith, seeing the resurrected Christ. Number 10, and there's far more than 10, but I didn't want to do three, three messages or five or 10 on the evidence of Christ's resurrection, the radical transformation of our own lives. And I get into that and how he lives in us, amen? I know what I was like before I knew Christ. I know what some of you were like before you knew Christ, amen? But God transforms our lives, amen? Through faith in Christ, there's, we're born again. We're made anew. We become uh, new persons in Jesus, and it becomes glorious and my family, I praise God, I mean, I used to always say my family's here. My family's a big part of the fellowship for years and years and years, and they're still part of Blessed Hope, but, but some of them have moved to Idaho, and it's good to see you guys here uh, today visiting. Uh, so now we're kind of like split up, but we're still together. But they all saw my life change radically. They all knew me better than anybody, and they saw that it was for real, you know. And then I was able to see one by one, all five of us children become transformed by the grace and the power of Jesus. And I'm not talking about joining AA. I'm not talking about just quitting this or that. I'm talking about a fundamental change that only the power of the Holy Spirit can, 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 can be explained by a miracle that happens in our hearts, amen? 
And it's just amazing. And then my mom had come to faith. She was one of the first ones, actually. And then my dad, thankfully, professed faith in Christ about a year before he, he had died. Uh, when he died about a year and a half ago. So the radical transformation of the human heart. You are a walking miracle if you know Jesus. The Bible talks about how we are signs and wonders. Your life is supposed to speak. So those are 10 evidences, and I just recap them because I thought that might encourage those who missed it, and that might encourage those who had already heard me go into detail just to be refreshed. Now I want to look at 10 glorious, not evidences, but benefits or blessings of Christ's resurrection. And oftentimes when we think of Christ's resurrection, we think of his death for our sins, amen? We think of, when we think of, I'm sorry, the gospel, we think of what Jesus did on the cross. We always talk about his, he died for our sins. He, he paid for our sins. Praise God, we're forgiven, amen? He washed our sins away. We talk about his death, but you know what we don't talk about enough is his resurrection. Go through the book of Acts. You'll see an emphasis on the fact that he is risen, that he's the resurrected Messiah. And I'm not saying you should talk about one more than the other, but I do believe you should talk about both. When Paul says, I declare to you the gospel by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word that I spoke unto you, he said that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Amen? And now we look at Matthew, uh, when we look at uh, Matthew chapter 18, notice that Mary had this, or these disciples, they had this great joy, verse 8, and they're go, told to go and tell the disciples, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to be witnesses of his, resurrect, his resurrection. And when you have great joy over something that should, his, his resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection should so impact your life and the way you live and the way you see reality and the fact that you have a hope for the future, amen? The fact that whatever you go through, you have an expectation and there should be a joy that exudes in us because of that fact to one degree, to one degree or another. So I think it's important that we understand the beauty of what he's done and the blessings, not only of the cross, but of his resurrection. So number one, the first blessing is that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrates his lordship. It demonstrates that he is Lord of all, that he is Lord, okay? And I think that he is who he had claimed to be as Lord. In fact, there are many people that have claimed to be the son of God, there are many people that claim to be the Messiah. Seems like every town has different people that claim to be the Messiah. Mental institutions have been filled through the years with many people claiming to be Christ, claiming to be the Messiah. I met one gal who gave her testimony and she said that she went to a church and she, and she left, she escaped from Elizabeth Clare Prophet's cult in Montana. And she went and and I don't even know if she realized what was going on with her at that time because she didn't say she was becoming like a false Christ, but I thought, ooh, she doesn't realize that the demons that she opened herself up to through these witchcraft incantations that happened at the Church Universal Triumphant where Elizabeth Clare Prophet would have St. Germain and other spirits channel through her. She, she was best friends with her daughter, and we've had a couple people that became Christians like Jay, uh, who I think is going to be here at our Resurrection Sunday thing today, later, uh, and his wife, Suksha, but Jay was part of that group and, and so forth. And it's interesting that he, uh, she said as she was leaving there, she left and she was hitchhiking and she, was, and she went into a church and there was a cross and it was a little bit lower than this one, I guess, because she said she laid against it just to, like she was Jesus, you know. 
And then she said that all of a sudden people started coming in for a Bible study, but she was kind of embarrassed to let them see her, so she stayed there. And then eventually she got off the cross. And then she said she went to a house. She ended up in some cul-de-sac, and she went into the guys, some guy's garage, and there were two, there were two uh, nails sticking out of, the, out of the rafters or what have you. And she just went, Brah! and shoved her hands into those nails, you know. And I thought, and then they called the ambulance. And I thought, she never put those things together, that sh- this was demonic, and Satan wants to imitate Jesus to distract people. Uh, in fact, the guy that just killed or tried to kill people, he didn't, I killed one police officer at the Capitol building, you remember, just happened a few days ago. Drove us, hit the barrier, came out wielding a knife and so forth, and, and uh, he was shot dead, but they looked at, he was, he was a follower of Louis Farrakhan. Louis Farrakhan, he writes how Louis Farrakhan is the is is coming of Jesus. He's the second coming of Christ and what have you, which is a lie, okay? When Jesus comes back, you won't be looking at him. You'll be caught up to meet him in the air, amen? But Louis, uh, Farrah, Louis Farrakhan job, that's what I just started calling this morning, Louis Farrakhan job, I thought that fits. Uh, he's a liar, okay? He's not the Messiah, okay? Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is Lord. And guess what? The scriptures show that it's through his resurrection because guess what? Many people complain to, claim to be the Messiah, but if they don't rise from the dead, they're not the Messiah, amen? Only the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. In fact, Romans 1, 4 says this, who was declared the Son of God, that Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. So Jesus Christ was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. The fact that he rose from the dead. According to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, he is what? Our Lord. It proves his lordship, his resurrection proves that he is the son of God, proves that he is Lord. Peter, in his Pentecost sermon, when he had been huddled behind a, in, a, in a building, fearful like the other disciples before they saw the resurrected Christ, and after the Holy Spirit comes upon him in power, then he goes and preaches that first uh, Pentecost sermon. And we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, this Jesus God raised up again. Talking about the resurrection. This Jesus God raised up again, Peter says, to which we are all witnesses. We're witnesses, amen? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. He has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he's affirming that he is Lord, amen? And he's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the one who had come to save us. Praise the Lord. How many of you are tired of so much uh, corruption in politics and the fake news and the media and all this just can't trust anybody. I think when they, they, they have people, you know, basically take polls on the trustworthy of pol- trustworthiness of politicians, it's like super, super, super low, okay? And then when they, the trustworthiness of the media, it's the same. It's very, very low because we have corrupt people with corrupt agendas who want power and want to rule over people and legislate their own uh, belief systems to get people to accept anything and everything pretty much. And it's just, it's just quite amazing. But how many of you are tired of the politics? And you know what? And, and tired of, heartbroken that wicked people ruin nations. Amen. And immorality just flourishes and families are destroyed. It's very heartbreaking. But how many of you therefore wish there was a kingdom that God was ruling? Amen. With his ethics, with justice and righteousness and love and mercy. Well, guess what? Jesus' resurrection, number two, the second blessing, his resurrection, resurrection inaugurates, inaugurates Christ's kingdom. 
a new kingdom. In fact, in the Old Testament, this kingdom was prophesied over and over again. And Daniel prophesies it in connection with the coming son of man. Listen, guys, Daniel 7, verse 13 says, I kept looking in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the son of man was coming. He came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, listen to this, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Amen? In fact, this talks about in 2 Peter chapter 1 that we will enter in, those who continue in the faith and make their calling election sure, will enter into his eternal kingdom and have this lavish welcome. Brothers and sisters, uh, Jesus is the Son of Man. In fact, that's one of the his favorite terms to use of himself, to identify himself as a prophesied one that would bring his kingdom. In fact, when Jesus came to the earth, he continued was de- to declare the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter one, verse three, Luke says that the Lord Jesus Christ presented himself for 40 days to the disciples, speaking to them about the, king- the kingdom of God. Amen. If you're a believer, you're already translated into the kingdom of God. It says in Colossians chapter one, verse 13 and 14, that we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, amen? The kingdom is where the king rules. If you're a Christian and you've submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in his kingdom spiritually. One day, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 and following, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of Christ, amen? That's very, very important to understand. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, then my servants would fight. That's why you don't hear me talking about politics all the time, okay? That's why when you hear a lot of preachers just talk about politics and how we're going to, you know, make sure we can legislate our morality and everything else. Oh, I'm all for voting. I'm all for using the system to our advantage to, to actually encourage people to do what's right. I'm all for that. And if there's political things, like that, things that become political that, that interface with the Christian faith, and there are definitely some, whether it has to do with marriage, whether it has to do with killing little babies or what have you, yeah, we speak scripturally, though. We speak prophetically to the state. And what we're not doing is we're not banking on this world to become the kingdom of Christ by our effort. We know that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. And when he comes back as king of kings, the Lord of lords, then the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of Christ. And our hope is in him, amen? Not in the politics of this world system. So we look forward to his return and we rejoice in the fact that he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And when he rose from the dead, the Bible ties his resurrection to the inauguration of his kingdom. In fact, when Jesus rose from the dead, he said to his apostles, all authority, this is Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Amen. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. I mean, get your brain around that, man. I mean, I don't even have, feel like I have authority sometimes in my own house, you know, so no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but he has authority in heaven and on earth and has all authority. That's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. And then he goes on to say, go and teach all nations, amen? Teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, making disciples of them, Amen baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? What an awesome reality. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, when Paul says, let this mind, this attitude, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What attitude? Although he was in the very form of God. The God, man. The, the God. The Word became flesh. Amen? He says, you know, he's in the very form of God. He didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to. He could have just held on to his equality with the Father. 
but he became a man. Amen. Didn't cease to be God. He identified himself as the I am when he was on earth as well. Still God. But guess what? He emptied himself, kenosis, of the privileges that he could use at any time he wanted to. He didn't have to leave heaven and all that worship. He was born in a stinking manger. He said the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He left that comfort and the worship he received to identify with us as a human being. But the Bible says he died a death and doesn't just say death, it says, then it goes on to say even the death on the cross. The worst kind of death you could possibly die that, by which you were executed, crucifixion. But guess what? It's through his resurrection now he rose from the dead and Paul goes on to declare that he has dominion over everything. Listen to what he says. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those who are in heaven and those on earth and under the earth, that's in hell. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? What a radical reality that every single tongue is gonna confess. Every single now uh, uh, knee is going to bow down. You know, Hitchens, you know, Dawkins, Hitler, Crowley, Anton LaVey, who had head up the Church of Satan, all, Stalin, everybody's, name, everybody's knees going to bow and everybody will confess that Jesus is Lord, whether in hell or on earth or in the, in, in the heavens. The key is make sure you confess him now because the Bible says, if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we confess with our mouths that Christ is Lord, we will be what? We'll be saved, amen? So make sure you're putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter one, verse 19 and following connects his resurrection to his kingdom. In the inauguration of his kingdom, it says that power, meaning the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of Christ, is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly realms. Far above all rule, and authority, power, and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. And appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, which is kind of interesting because Christ is going to also rule. Not, he's gonna rule when he comes back, but also he's gonna rule through his church Okay, the Bible says you will judge angels. That's pretty heavy. The Bible says we will rule and reign with him through the thousand year millennium. The Bible talks about how he is faithful in little, be faithful in un will be faithful in much. He is unfaithful in little, be unfaithful in much. And the one who's given one talent and buries it, he's in trouble, he's doomed. But you need to multiply, you need to make sure what the Lord's given you, you, you become a blessing to others and, and, you, and you share Jesus and you shine his light so you can make sure you're fruitful in this world that we live in. Because he talked about those who are faithful in, are faithful, at least faithful in little or much. You need to be faithful though, because he talks about di three different guys, one who buries it and he goes into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the other two are fruitful on different levels, but those who are fruitful, guess what? They're given different cities, it says. Different cities to rule over, okay? What that means specifically, how that pans out during the millennium, we don't know exactly, but guess what? We're not just gonna be humming amazing grace on a cloud for the rest of our lives. 
We're gonna be, we're gonna, heaven, the heavenly kingdom, and even the millennial kingdom before heaven comes to earth, and that is when New Jerusalem comes to this planet after a thousand years. We're going to be serving our master. Adam and Eve, when first human beings, they were naming animals, right? They were quite busy tending the garden, yet there was no sweat. I mean, I should say there was no pain in the sweat of their brow. There was no pain in childbearing. There'll be no more pain in his kingdom. We look forward to that glorious kingdom. It'll be joyous service at all times. And if you're a Christian, you love Jesus, you have a lot of joy, hopefully, in your service. I know I do. I've been serving the Lord for years and years and years, and it's a great joy by his grace. May God continue to fill us with uh, love and, and, and rejoicing now, but we're going to be rejoicing forever in his kingdom. Amen. Number three, the resurrection of Christ enables us to receive the Holy Spirit. The, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ enables us to receive the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament times, when you read through the Old Testament, they didn't receive the Holy Spirit like we do through regeneration where we're, we're born again and we have this intimacy that you couldn't know in the Old Testament times. In the Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit was with them uh, in, in, a, in a powerful dimension still and enabled them. He, he anointed kings and, and prophets and, and, and priests and so forth and he enabled different people to build the temple and so forth. So he enabled. But Jesus said the Holy Spirit is with you but the Holy Spirit will be in you. Amen. And when he rose from the dead, and he came to his disciples after he rose from the dead. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Which is really, really heavy when you think about it. Because when God first created humanity, what did he do? He breathed on them, amen, and they became living souls. Well, we've been separated from God because of our sin, amen. And our sin separates us from God because he's a thrice holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is so holy, he's so wonderful, he's so radical. And our sin separates us from him. But he is so good, and so loving that he wanted to bridge that gap between us and he did it through the Christ's cross and through the resurrection. And when Jesus rose from the dead, remember, prior to his resurrection, anyone who died didn't go to heaven. Before Jesus died on the cross and before he was risen, nobody went to heaven. We know that because Jesus said, no one has ascended to the Father but the Son of Man. No one. You couldn't get there because our sins Kept us from there. Now, there were sin offerings given over and over again, right? Animal sacrifices in the temple and so forth. But they could cover sin, but they couldn't take away sin. Amen? It's like your garbage. Before the garbage man comes, you cover it up. It still stinks a bit. It's like, oh, man. But when the garbage man comes, he takes it away. Well, guess what? Jesus bore our garbage. He bore our sin. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen? He actually takes away our sins. So guess what? When Christ died on the cross, it's, that's why there was that big earthquake we just read about because God tore the veil of the temple from top to bottom. I have a message that I prepared probably two, three years ago for you, which I'm just not ready to preach yet, but it's pretty close to done, on just the tearing of the veil of the temple. And it's so radical, so beautiful. But I'm gonna hopefully do that next year. But he tore it from top to bottom because nobody could go into the holiest place except the high priest once a year, Right? Right? Well, guess what? He tore that from top to bottom, showing that we now have a, the new and living way. The Lord Jesus Christ gives us access because he paid for our sins. Amen? So now we get to go into heaven. Amen? But guess what? Also, he gets to go into the depths of our hearts. Amen? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He gets to go in the holiest place. Okay? In the Old Testament, he didn't go into the holiest place in the human heart. Amen? But guess what? One of the benefits of his death, burial, and resurrection is he now lives in us. In Mark, or John chapter 14, verses Chapter 14 through 16, actually, three chapters, 
Jesus explicates the fact that when he goes and he dies for our sins, when he rises again, that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to us, amen, the comforter, the paraclete, the, the counselor, amen, and that the Father and the Son, he says, will make our abodes in your hearts, amen? So because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he now lives in us, amen? And you should rejoice over that because if Jesus didn't die and rise, you could not have intimacy with God with him living in you and you wouldn't be able to go to heaven. But after Jesus rose from the dead, what did he do? It says he went to the lower parts of the earth, amen? And then he went to the lower parts of the earth and he took captivity captive in his train and led them into heaven, amen? So now when you die, to be absent from the body, the Bible says, is to be what? Present with the Lord. What a glorious reality. What a glorious truth, Amen. Christ in us because of the resurrection. Us able to spend eternity now with the Lord in his presence because of Christ's resurrection. In John chapter, or 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God, and you are not your own? So we need to understand we are not our own. We belong to the Lord. And the apostle Paul goes on to talk about in that same chapter, he talks about how you're not supposed to commit sexual sin because you're dragging the Holy Spirit into that. He says, how could you take the member of Christ because we're the body of Christ and join yourself the member of Christ with a prostitute? Amen? That's wickedness in God's sight. That's why earlier in that same chapter he says, know ye not that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. He goes on to talk about neither adulterers or fornicators or homosexuals or thieves or drunkards or extortioners and so forth will inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, don't be deceived about it. But you were washed. We were washed in the precious blood of Jesus, amen. We were justified, meaning declared righteous because our sins were forgiven and the gavel goes down and the Lord says no condemnation in Christ Jesus now for those who are trusting him, amen. And we're sanctified, meaning we're set apart from evil and we're consecrated unto God, amen. What a wonderful reality the gospel changes our lives. Are you living according to the gospel? Are you living a holy life? Are you purifying yourself as he is pure? The Bible says he that has his hope in him, meaning Christ's second coming, purifies himself as he is pure. Amen. Make sure you're living for Jesus. Make sure you're walking in love. Make sure the way you communicate with your spouse if you're married is one with humility, is done with love. If you have children that you, or even grandchildren, that you love them, that you're patient with them, that you're praying for them. Amen. If you're a child, if you're a young person, that you're respectful to your parents. Amen that you're respectful toward older folks, that you're respectful, everybody here, to your employers or to the law enforcement. Well, that, that cop's, guess what? The cop pulls you over. Does the Bible say to rebel against it? No. We're, the Bible says we're supposed to be, uh, as Christians, great witnesses to law enforcement. Romans chapter 13. Now, of course, as I've said before, if they tell you to do something evil, contrary to scripture, then guess what? You obey God, not man. Amen. But it's absolutely important that we know as Christians, our lives should be shining. We should be different than the world because we are first and foremost our citizens of heaven, amen? Our citizenship, Paul says, is in heaven. Our names are written in heaven, amen? It's important to understand that what happens when you receive the Holy Spirit, you gain three wonderful things. And I'm not limited to three, but you gain intimacy with God because God comes to live in you, amen? Number two, the Holy Spirit. This is what we see throughout Scripture because he's inspired the Word of God, gives us knowledge, amen, so we can grow in the knowledge of Christ and he can illumine our understanding of Scripture. That's a beautiful thing. Intimacy and knowledge. Epigenosis. Experiential knowledge. And then number three, he enables us with power. He gives us the power to live holy and righteous lives, amen. Remember Paul before he was a Christian? In Romans chapter seven, 
He talks about there was a time when he was young, he didn't even understand the law. He was just a baby. And then as he got older, the law came and it killed him because he realized he was a sinner. And then he said the things he, did, he wanted to do, he couldn't do. He didn't have the power to do it. Things he didn't want to do, he ended up doing. You know, some teach, oh no, that's the Christian life. That's, that's what the Christian life. No, it's not. That's not what the early uh, church taught. Not until Augustine, who was a heretic in a lot of ways in the fourth century, who started saying, well, you know, this really is talking about the Christian life. No, go and look at the context and the way it was interpreted and understood by the, the first three centuries, which is longer than we've been a country, by the church fathers was Christ was talking about before Christ, BC. Look at the context. Paul's talking about how he was dead. <laughs> and then he was alive at one time, he says. I was alive spiritually. But then when, the, when con- conception and understanding of sin came, I died. And then it's Paul against the law. It's not you and me against the law. There's no mention of the Holy Spirit in Romans 7. He's just totally defeated. He's wiped out. Things I want to do, I don't do. And things I don't want to do, I end up doing. He's going through his testimony. How the law leads us to Christ, he says. Amen. Who will save me from this body of death? Then he says, thanks be the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ saves us. Amen. So guess what? Because we now have the Holy Spirit, he enables us to live righteous and holy lives. Amen? So you don't stay in Romans 7 when you get saved. Guess what? You graduate to Romans chapter 8, the very next chapter. And the very next chapter, what do you see going on? He talks about the newness of life. Amen? He starts off how there's no condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? And that God, by the Holy Spirit, that we're supposed to put to death the deeds of the body. Amen? Brethren, you're not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify, crucify, kill the deeds of the body, you shall live. And then he talks about walking in this newness of life. A lot like Romans 6. Read Romans 6 and Romans 8. It's not Romans 7. In Romans 6, we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to righteousness. We're no longer to yield our members over to sin, but to acts of righteousness for the Lord's glory. In Romans chapter 8, we read in verse 11, the spirit of God, because this makes a difference. We have the Holy Spirit living in us through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. It's connected. He's connected to the resurrection. Lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Praise the Lord. And guess what? We read in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, that the same power again by which he rose Jesus from the dead enables us and strengthens our inner person. Amen. And Paul prays for that to happen. Pray, say, God, Father, in Jesus' name, strengthen me, empower me by your spirit to live holy lives. Oh, we still have a battle, okay, against the flesh. But it's, in, it's not Romans 7, it's Galatians chapter 5, where the spirit fights against the flesh and the flesh fights against the spirit. So we still have a battle to identify, but that's Christian battle right there, okay? We're not supposed to be defeated, backslidden, apostate, falling away and call that Christianity. That's not Christianity. That is called apostasy, Okay? So I want to encourage you, make sure you recognize the benefit and the blessings that we have through the resurrection of Christ. Number four, the resurrected Christ resurrects our spirits to new life. We look forward to our bodily resurrection, which we'll talk about in a minute. But guess what's already happened if you're trusting in Jesus? You've been regenerated. You've been born again. Your spirit has come to life. You, the Bible uses the language of resurrection. If you are a Christian, you have a resurrected spirit. Because before we knew Jesus, we were what? Separated by, from God by our sin, amen? We were spiritually dead. We were dead. We were zombies. Zombies do exist. Yes, yes, they do. We are them. The walking dead. Humanity is the walking dead. 
and humans like to make movies and TV shows about the walking dead and say, whoo, glad that's not happening. Guess what? We are them. Just makes us feel better. We wear suits and dress up, and, but guess what? Our hearts are filled with sin. In fact, we're worse than those zombies. You know why? Because those zombies are just trying to eke out an existence and eat something, right? Where we're filled with evil and wicked intent and diabolically used by demons and stuff. It's far worse than the movies make it, actually. But guess what? When we're born again, we repent of sin, and he gives us new hearts, new, and the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, and we're resurrected spiritually. And I think that's incredibly amazing. You experience a spiritual resurrection. There's pictures throughout scripture of that. There's pictures throughout nature. When you see this ugly looking green, weird looking caterpillar, you're like, whoa, a worm. That's us. The Bible speaks of us as being worms compared to God. But then that worm fastens itself on a tree and a chrysalis forms. And it turns to mush from the way we would perceive it until it matures and that mush is transformed and breaks out of that chrysalis and you have this glorious, beautiful butterfly flying in the heavenlies, you know. That's a picture of what's happened in us. We're transformed, amen. Now we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, amen. Now he lives in us and we're alive. We're no longer spiritually dead, but we've come to life because we're dead. Death in the Bible is not the cessation of existence. Do you understand that? The Bible describes death as separation, in fact, the Bible says when someone's body dies, it says in James chapter 2, the body's dead when the spirit leaves the body. Separation. When you're dead spiritually, it's because God's spirit is no longer in you. But when the Holy Spirit comes into you, guess what? You come to new life. Because now you're alive because you begin to share the life of Christ, the resurrected Christ. And your spirit comes alive. And now, you're, now you are alive spiritually. And listen to what Paul says, guys, in Ephesians chapter 2. After the apostle Paul mentions those who were, before we were saved, he says we were dead. Dead. You were dead, man, spiritually. So was I. In trespasses and sins. We were children of disobedience who were under the power of the prince and the power of the air. The spirit that works through the children of disobedience. But then guess what? We were born again. And we read in Ephesians 2, 5, and 6, listen. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It's not by our own works or things you did to earn God's favor. It's purely by his grace through Christ dying for your sins and rising again. Verse 6. And God raised us up. Did you catch that? God what? That's resurrection language. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, verse 12b and 13. You were also raised with him through your faith. Notice that you weren't raised before your faith. Calvinism, where you're born again and then you can come to Jesus eventually. No, you were raised through your faith. You already had faith. When you put your faith in Jesus, you were justified, forgiven, and then you were born again. The Holy Spirit came to live in you. You were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. So our regeneration, our born again, being born again, being raised to new life is connected to the fact that our sins have been forgiven. And that's when it happened. When your sins were forgiven, guess what? God can now come into your heart. Because God is holy, man. He's not going to live with someone that's in total rebellion and wickedness and refuse to repent and come into their hearts and just live there and be, and be stuck there. 
No, we're told very, very clearly in Scripture that it's, we have to be justified. We have to be made right with God, forgiven of our sins so he can live in us. What a beautiful, beautiful truth. Do you feel old and creaky? Okay. Oh, he looked at me when he said that. I look at everybody. People say, you look at me. I'm looking at everybody all the time. No. I feel old and creaky sometimes, you know. If, uh, but if you, don't, if you just feel creaky, I said, like in the sunrise service, just give it a little time. Just a little bit of time, you'll start to feel old too. <laughs> it happens quick. I, I'm just, I'm sorry. It's a reality, you know. But it's a good reminder that we need Jesus. It's a good reminder that we're, we're doomed without Jesus and that our bodies are growing old. The Bible says the outward man is decaying, but the inward man for the believer is being renewed day by day, amen? So guess what? I am so happy. I am so excited that I will eventually get a new body, and so will you. In fact, Jesus said to, to Mary, uh, uh, of, uh, you know, remember Mary of Bethany and Martha? Well, he said to Martha in John eleven twenty five. 25, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes me, though he are dead, yet shall he live. In John 14, Jesus said in verse 19, he said, because I live, you will live also. Amen? So his resurrection, number five, the resurrection of Christ guarantees the resurrection of our bodies. The resurrection of Christ guarantees the resurrection of our bodies. In 1 Corinthians 15, after Paul spends a lot of time talking about the resurrection of Christ, he turns to the resurrection of our bodies by virtue of what Jesus did through his gospel and through our faith, his grace, he resurrects us. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. He's talking about the sleep of death. It's a metaphor for death. But we shall all be changed. Do we have that up yet in the nursery? I thought that would be a great verse for the nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Okay. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. I love that. It's all about the, the coming resurrection. The dead in Christ will rise first, Paul says. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Then we who are alive and remain, we caught up to meet them in the air of the rapture. Amen. We look forward to that glorious day. Therefore, he says, we do not grieve the way the world grieves. Amen? We don't grieve the way the world grieves. When there's death, the world, you know, they really, 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 really grieve because they have no hope. Amen? They go and get hammered, man. They get drunk because they have no hope. There's despair. There's gloom sometimes for months and years. If there's no hope, it's sad, you know? My mother-in-law is... is and thank you, for, any of you have been praying, uh, thank you for that. Uh, Lisa's just spent the last couple nights over there, and she'll be spending the night over there as well, and trading off with her brothers and so forth, and uh, because her mom's in that place where she doesn't have, they think, much time left, you know. Thanks for those of you, too, who have been reaching out to her. That's a blessing. Uh, and it's a time of, of grievances, you know, it hurts. But we make sure that we share Jesus with her. You know, I've been there a number of times and been able to, you know, with Lisa, just, Grandma, or you know, Mom, are you trusting Jesus alone, you know? Are you putting your trust in Him, you know? And just say straight out, don't be, don't be praying to Mary. Make sure you're praying to Jesus and lean on Him and trusting what He did for you, making sure she's saved and knowing Jesus, amen? It's very, very important. And, and I saw Mike, and, you know, I sat back there in back of, love you, Brother Mike, and he just, his mom had just passed on. And as we talked, you know, it was a little teary for us, you know, and, and Mike got pretty teary-eyed. But man, you know what? Mike's like, you know, I know where she's at right now. 
And I know she's in a better place. And, and we know that we have the resurrection and she was trusting Jesus. And then, you know, Mike and I are talking how it's, it's painful. It's very painful. Mike's a loving guy, great, great family guy and, and, and star. He's a great family. And, and he, and, but he, we talked about how we don't have to grieve the way the world grieves because we have hope. Amen. And I told him it's going to be far better than it has ever been in this world. Amen. So we look forward to that time. Because the Bible says, though, in, in Revelation chapter 21, you know, he's going to make a new heaven and new earth. First Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, says he'll make a new heaven and new earth where it dwelleth righteousness. Revelation chapter 21, it says he makes this new heaven and new earth. He makes all things new. Amen. It says there'll be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more curse. There'll be no more pain. Amen. But he'll make his tabernacle with men. We look forward to that glorious, glorious day when we're resurrected with him. But right now, it's important for us to understand that, uh, you know, when you think of what we, we go through and how we get these brand new bodies, I wrote some scriptures down that I want to share with you on the resurrection that I think are very encouraging. Romans chapter 8, verse 23 and 29. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption, our adoption as sons, the redemption, the redemption of our bodies. Now our spirits have already been redeemed, amen? And the inner man is being renewed day by day, but the outer man is still decaying. We're waiting the redemption of our bodies. The redemption speaks of salvation, the resurrection. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. I mean, think about that, guys. That's just mind-boggling. It's absolutely amazing that we will have resurrected bodies. Now, right now, what kind of car? Anybody drive a Ford Pinto here? If you have a Ford Pinto, I applaud you, man, because those were really, really bad cars, you know? And they were bad cars way back in the 70s. So if yours is still going and you've maintained it, whew, thumbs up. But man, could you imagine jumping from a, a Ford Pinto or a Chevy Vega? We used to have one of those when I was a kid. I actually liked it, you know. Uh, you know, everybody's trying to put eight cylinders in there. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Jumping from there to a Bugatti or one of the best Ferraris. What a difference. Could you imagine? Guess what? The jump from your body that you're in now to your resurrected body will be infinitely greater than that. At least from our perception. It'll just be like, because guess what the scriptures say? Your new body's gonna be like. Well, it says we're gonna be conformed to his likeness. And listen to what Philippians 3.21 says. It says, who will transform the body of our humble state. Right now our bodies are humble. Think Ford Pinto, VW Bug maybe. Into conformity, into conformity, into conformity with the body of his glory. We bore the image of the earthly Adam, it says in 1 Corinthians 15. We shall bear the image of the heavenly one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. The same power that he subjects everything to himself to, the same power by which he rose from the dead, he will exhort in your body. The molecules, the atoms that make up your body will be a transformation. And you know what? They still can't explain away the Shroud of Turin. They look at the Shroud of Turin and they've tried to duplicate it, but guess what they finally found out? They tried different paintings and stuff, but then when they checked it out forensically, they found out that there was exertion of energy. 
That's not a joke. And it's like a, a, a photo was taken because you could look at it in, in, a, in a dark room and it just shines. It's just like they say it, it was a burst of energy. And guess what? How do you do a burst of energy way back then to leave that image there? And they've tried to duplicate it. They can't get anything close to it with all our modern technology. But somebody had some kind of way of doing it back then. Wrong. That same energy by which Jesus rose us from the dead, he's going to transform our bodies. In fact, listen to this, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet appeared as yet as to what we will be. Talking about what we're going to be like, look like, we, and, and what's going to be like in the resurrection. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because he, we will see him just as he is. Wow. We're to be like him. And we're to see him just as he is. That's when it goes on to say, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself, even as he is pure. See, the Bible says that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. First fruits. And that's really heavy when you think about it. Because remember, in the Old Testament, there's seven feast days, right? Number of perfection. And each feast day points to Jesus. It's a blow mine. So the Jews practice all these feast days, you know, Passover. The Jews just did the Passover Seder. We've had a number of Passovers in this fellowship, right? You know, where the Afikom and the second piece of matzah is taken out by the Jews. The second piece, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They don't know that. Second piece is broken. Just like Jesus, the bread that came down from heaven. The matzah, take this as my body. It's without yeast because Jesus is without sin. Then they wrap it even as Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloth, right? And then he was, or not swaddling cloth, he's, he's wrapped in the tomb, right? He's buried. They bury it. This happens thousands of places, Jewish satyrs, they do this whole ritual. Then the, whoever finds it later gets a prize. Jesus took that and said, this is my body. <laughs> That's me. I'm coming from heaven. I came from heaven. I'm without sin. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be raised. And guess what? Whoever finds me gets a prize. Eternal life. Amen. And the Passover service, guys, the lamb was slain. That was all a picture of Jesus. Isaiah 53 is all about the Messiah being like a lamb who's led to the slaughter. And John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And when Jesus, uh, now it's interesting because the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that Christ, our Passover, was slain for us. Amen. Christ our Passover. Well, when does Passover happen? The day before the Sabbath, Friday. Jesus was crucified on the Passover. The Jews celebrated two different days on Passover because you have the Galilean Jews. And that's why you have two days uh, being, called, being referred to as Passover. And those in, Ju- in Jerusalem celebrated another, this next day. But guess what's interesting is when Jesus was crucified on Friday, guess what it says? In the Old Testament, after the Passover, on the day after the morrow, the morrow would be tomorrow, which would be Saturday after Friday. The day after that would be what? Sunday. The high priest is to take the sheaves from the harvest, which is just getting ripe. He's to find those sheaves that are ripe and to take those early sheaves, just grab some, and he's supposed to wave them before everybody. The high priest will wave them. The, the harvest is ripe. Here's the first fruits. You know what? Jesus, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, the same apostle who 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Christ, our, our Passover has been sacrificed for us. Ten chapters later, chapter 15 says he's the first fruits of the resurrection. Friday he was crucified. 
The day after tomorrow is Sunday morning, right? The high priest gets up. Where's the sheaves? He is the sheaf. He's resurrected. And you know, isn't that beautiful? Just like the timing in the Old Testament, the feast. Passover, Friday, Saturday, Sabbath, Sunday morning, the waving of the first fruits. Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. Amen. The fact that he rose shows us that we will rise. Amen. Because the first fruits was just the beginning. It's mind-blowing when you think about it, how God puts all this together. That's why I don't, I don't doubt at all the word of God. It's just too mind-blowing. You couldn't make this stuff up if you tried. In fact, the typologies I'm telling you about belong to the Jews who don't even see it and understand it, many of them, even though all the first Christians were Jews. They don't even point all this out in the New Testament, but they point out a lot of this. It's my, they give you little hints, and they're like, they just drop a line up. Well, that's what, they knew what was going on, a lot of them, obviously. Mind-blowing. Oh, by the way, then you would await the Feast of Pentecost. Weeks later, after the Feast of First Fruits, then the day of Pentecost would come, and then that was a celebration. They do the harvest. Guess what? After Jesus' resurrection, right? Then he told them to tarry in Jerusalem. And there's all these unbelievers, Jews, that come there for the Feast of Pentecost. And then Peter preaches his radical sermon, and thousands of them, 3,000 get saved, amen? The harvest is coming in, the Pentecost, the rest of the harvest, amen? And all that is a picture of the ultimate harvest when we get our resurrected bodies. Are you with me? It's all mind-blowing stuff. I mean, think about it. So we will be like Jesus, and your body will be more radical than a Ferrari. How do I know that? Because Ferraris don't go through walls without getting damaged. Jesus walked through walls. Our bodies will be like his. Ferraris, last I saw, they got, they're pretty gnarly, but they can't fly. Jesus ascended to heaven, amen. Jesus will descend with the saints, amen. We'll be with him in the cloud of glory. And if you're either with him because you died and then you, you, you're, you're among those who rise first or you're waiting and you remain, you'll be caught up to meet them there. Either way, you're gonna fly. You're gonna get your wings, so to speak, amen. Not saying literal wings. Joe said we have wings. I don't know what it looks like. I don't think we have wings, but I don't, you don't even need them. It's going to be amazing. Because he lives, we will live also, but, but our bodies will be like under his body. And so, you guys, you want a makeover, man? <laughs> Just trust in Jesus. It's the ultimate makeover. Amen? Number six, Christ's resurrection creates the new universe, man. And I alluded to this, I mentioned this already in regard to as when I was talking about our new bodies. But guess what? Our creation that we live in, we're going to have a, a new heaven and a new earth. And the creation that we live in right now is decaying, man. Entropy, the second law of thermodynamics. After the first human sin, they partook of the forbidden fruit and failed the test. Well, thorns and thistles came up. There's been a mutation in nature. And we read in Acts chapter 8, verse 20 and verse 22. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8. Listen to this. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. For we know that the whole creation, the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Childbirth is showing something's coming, but there's a lot of pain. Right now, our cre the creation we're in is fallen. In fact, many liberals want to make that the main thing on the agenda, save the earth, the environment, and so forth. And as Christians, we shouldn't say, well, no, nah, we're not, no. As Christians, more than anybody, we're called to be stewards of the earth, amen? We have a divine mandate from God, amen? Not from some cosmic burp out of nothingness, okay? Which makes no sense. Why would you even have a sense of meaning or purpose or value if there's no meaning to, or value or purpose to life? 
but we've been mandated by God to take care of the environment and so forth. But we're also warned not to follow false prophets and false teachers who would use that as an agenda to basically mobilize us as their sheep into a new world order and under the Antichrist. We want to make sure we don't worship the creation. That's Gaia, okay? That's Eastern mysticism. We're not called to worship the creation. We're called to worship the creator, amen? So we put the Lord Jesus Christ first and we are good and wise stewards and we ought to be about a clean environment and so forth. But watching out for the agendas and watch out for the lies to where we would give hundreds of millions and millions and millions of money to groups that would use it for their agenda, okay? Not saying don't pay your taxes, I'm just saying we need to know the big pictures of what's going on in the world. But all of creation is groaning. But the world, the people that don't know Jesus, they only have this one life to live. And it goes really quick, so they're trying to make this utopia, right? They're trying to make this, this, this the kingdom of God on earth. They're trying to do it. And even if you were able, you're going to be gone in a few seconds relative to, uh, you know, eternity. A zeptosecond, you know, boom. Compared to eternity, that's, you're gone. What matters is knowing Jesus Christ and then inheriting the new heaven and the new earth. Amen. Living with him forever and ever in New Jerusalem, coming down and being with the Lord forever. And I tell you what, listen to this. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us, or to us. Listen to this. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption. Catch that? The creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adopt, our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So the Lord is going to just radically transform the cosmos. It's not going to be Al Gore. It's not going to be John Kerry. You know, It's not going to be you know, uh, these guys who want to act like they can save the earth. It's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. We do our job. But Jesus is going to be in the ultimate transformation. And there's going to be a cosmic meltdown. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will be passed away and the will roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things, brothers and sisters, listen to what he says. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness? In other words, since God is going to judge and everything's going to be melted down, you ought to be living holy lives with godliness. Verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, meaning in light of that reality, the fact that everything's going to burn up, he's going to make a new heaven, new earth, wherein righteousness dwells, only righteousness. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Amen. Make sure that you've been cleansed by the blood of the lamb. Make sure that you have a right standing with the Lord. Amen. And make sure that you're sincerely trusting and following him in your heart. Amen. And living for him. Then we'll enter that place where there's no more curse. There's no more death. There's no more sorrow. Number seven, the resurrection of Christ validates the cross. The resurrection of Christ validates the cross. Amen? What does that mean? Listen to this verse and think about what it means. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. 
Now, we usually think that he died for our sins on the cross to pay for our sins so we'd be justified or made right with God. Amen. But right here in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, where Paul spends so much time in Romans about Christ's death for our sins, he also ties in the resurrection. He was resurrected, he said. He was raised to life for our justification. How does his resurrection, how is it for our justification? Well, guess what? If the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't who he said he was and wasn't the Messiah, and we died on the cross, he was just an ordinary man, or he'd be actually worse, he'd be a deceiver, he would not have risen from the dead, amen? And we would still be in our sins. Our faith would be vain. We'd still be doomed. But listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14 and 17. Listen to what Paul says. And if Christ has not been raised, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. That's heavy, amen? We'd be in big trouble. But because, what does his resurrection prove? It justifies the reality that he is who he claimed to be and that his death was accepted by the Father, that he was holy and righteous and pure, that he was and is the prophesied Messiah and that his death took, amen? His resurrection proves that, it validates that, it justifies that. He rose for our justification. In fact, it's said, in fact, when I, 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 you know, I love Keith Green like John does. I love a lot of his songs, man, just, you know. Uh, if John's the biggest fan of the church, I'm like second or third. I love Keith Green's music. And I just remember as a new Christian, man, just driving down the road. It's funny, when jo- jo- Josiah's got his Jeep now, I'm like, man, I had a CJ Vive Jeep when I was your age and dating your mom. It's so funny. And, but I would be blasting my Keith Green, Prodigal Son Suite and other ones, and just weeping, just worshiping the Lord. You know, Tony needs to get it together, you know. But uh, <laughs> just kidding, Tony. <laughs> but, I, but you know what, I just... But you know what, I never, I always think, what does he mean there? Hear the bells ringing, they're singing that you can be born again. I always thought, hear the bells ringing, it's kind of an odd lyric, you know. You ever think about what that might mean? I don't know what he meant in that. Hear the bells ringing, they're singing that you can be born again. Until I was sitting back there listening to the song and reading along with the words, and I thought, oh, I wonder if that's what Keith is talking about. Because some report that the high priest in the Old Testament, when he went into the holy of holy places to offer the sacrifice and put the blood on the altar, that there was a rope tied to him. And the high priest has bells around his waist and pomegranates within those bells, golden bells and pomegranates. Remember that message? The fruit and the activity for the Lord. And he represents Jesus, the high priest, but if his heart was wrong with God and he was sinful and he went into the very presence of God with only one person go a year, that he'd be struck dead and then they'd drag him out with a rope because he wasn't fit to be high priest. And you'd only know he was dead because the bells weren't ringing anymore. Hear the bells ringing, they're singing. You could be born again. In other words, he is risen. His sacrifice took. Does that make sense? I don't know if that's what he meant or not. He has some pretty deep lyrics. He may have meant that. However, I have to be honest with you. I haven't been able, even though I read that, you read that in commentaries, you read that all over the place, that he had a rope attached to his foot. I can't find any ancient witness that they actually attached a rope to his foot and dragged him out if the bells stopped ringing, you know? So I like to be precise in my theology and in my witness. But we do know this, there were bells ringing. And when he was active and he came out, you'd hear them ringing still. 
when the priest in his, in his garments hear the bells ringing, they're singing. In other words, guys, guess what? Jesus came out of the tomb. He rose from the dead, amen? And we can be born again. It validates the fact that he not only died, but he rose again, amen? And I love it. And here's another thing. I'm gonna quote William Hendrickson because in his commentary in Romans, came out in 1980, he states this, the father by raising Jesus from the dead assures us that the atoning sacrifice has been accepted. Hence, our sins are forgiven, amen? God accepted his sacrifice. His resurrection shows that God accepted it. Our faith isn't in vain. But guess what? There's more to this, I believe, than just the fact that it justifies that his death was a reality and propitious for us. I believe also there's something else going on here. Why did he rise for our justification? Because after he died on the cross, guess what? When, when the high priest offered the sacrifice, the high priest wouldn't offer himself because he wasn't perfectly holy. The offerings were a picture of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate high priest who offers himself on the cross. But the high priest, after he would make the offering in the Old Testament, would then take the blood into the holiest place, which was the presence of God, and place it on the mercy seat. Guess what? When Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to the Father in heaven, and he presented the blood, at least in symbolic form, by his actual body, which had been crucified as a witness that he had given his blood some believe he brought his blood up there and presented it on the altar up there. We don't know exactly what that looked like. But we do know that, guess, well, I'm not, I'm not coming up with this stuff. This is what the Bible teaches. Listen to Rome. I'm not talking about the actual blood being put up there, but I'm saying that he, as a high priest, not only offered himself, but he had to rise from the dead. Because in Leviticus chapter 16, after the offering was made, the high priest would then present the blood before God in the Holy Holies. Guess what? The Holy Holies is a picture of God's very presence, Amen. And Jesus had to rise from the dead. And he ascended to the heavens. And he went in the presence of the Father. And he offered, and, and he revealed, he there uh, presented his sacrifice to the Father. In fact, listen to Hebrews 9, verse 12 and 24. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Catch that? And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place. He's not talking about the temple. He didn't go to the temple, he went to heaven. Once for all, meaning just one sacrifice was needed because of his infinite value, having obtained eternal redemption. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, not the physical temple, a mere copy of the true one, the one in heaven, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Amen. So his resurrection justifies us as well. And you have to think of the cross and the resurrection as two sides of the same coin. One inseparable, intertwined, glorious event by which we are saved. Amen? So it's, it's mind-boggling when you think about it, but we're told in Romans 8.34, 30, listen, we're told this. Who, who is the one who condemns? Because the Bible says that Satan is accused of the brethren. He's, he goes before the throne. He doesn't just come and tempt like a roaring lion. He's got all kinds of demons doing that for him. He does that too. But he has access to the heavens and, he's in the very, and he goes in the presence of God and he condemns us and accuses us. He accuses us day and night before God. But because Jesus not only died, was buried, but he rose again. Listen to what Paul writes. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather the one who was raised. And notice in connection what it says with his resurrection. 
who is at the right hand of God who intercedes or prays for us. Amen? That's a blow mind when you think about it. That's the same Paul who earlier wrote that we're justified through his resurrection. That's why John says in 1 John chapter 2, Luke, where are you going, bro? I'm kidding, man. One of my nephews, you know. 1 John chapter 2. John says, I write these things that you don't sin. I write these things that you don't sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate. Jesus Christ righteous. The word advocate in the Greek is defense lawyer. It speaks of the defense lawyer. We have the accuser of the brethren. I pointed this out before. The accuser of the brethren. I love it, man, because this judge has the accuser of the brethren, the prosecuting attorney, and he has a defense lawyer. Man, this whole thing is rigged in our favor because the, the prosecuting attorney is, the judge hates him, you know. The defense lawyer is his only begotten son whom he loves. But it's not based on I hate you and I love you. It's based on the fact that his son gave his life for us, amen. Was buried and paid for our sins. We rose again, ascended to the Father. Is at the right hand of the Father and the accusations against us. The gavel comes down, no condemnation. They're not condemned because my son gave his life for them. If your faith is in Jesus, if you're trusting in him. So he is our mediator. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, amen, who gave himself a ransom for all. That means he gave himself for each and every one of us. But if we put our trust in him, the one mediator, not one mediatrix, not Mary, She's not the one that makes intercession for you that you go to to you can be right with the Father. It's only Jesus that can make you right with the Father. Amen. There's one made between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. Who gave himself as a ransom for all so we can all be saved and all be right with God. Number eight, the resurrection of Christ defeats his enemies. And this one I'm going to go through quickly. Why? Because this is tied to Christus Victor, which I did already. Okay. This is our normal service right now because we're on a resurrection Sunday service, so it's our two-hour service. So we're, I got to get this done, though, so I can get done on two hours. So listen, folks, uh, that means there's five more minutes, so I'm going to fly through this. I'll just say this, and this one I want to go through quick anyway because we just said Christus, Christus Victor uh, Wednesday, but I want to say this, his resurrection is tied to Christus Victor. Remember when he the resurrected Christ appeared before John to give him the book of Revelation? He shined like the sun in, in the noon of day, and John fell on his face as a dead man. And then he says, Jesus laid his right hand upon me and said, don't fear, don't be afraid. He said, I am the first and last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of death and Hades. Amen. Jesus snatched the keys, man, through his death, burial, and resurrection because the scriptures tell us that we were under the power of Satan and the power of death. And Jesus freed us from that according to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Nine, he inaugurates a new creation day. A new creation day. What's going on there? Woo, man, this gets too heavy. Lord, help me get this done in a minute and a half so I can get to the next one. I'll tell you what. The new creation day is this. When Jesus came to us and died and rose again, guess what happened, man? There was a new creation day. In the old creation day, they used to worship on the Sabbath because he rested on the, on the seventh day, amen? And the Jews rested on the Sabbath. And the seventh day Adventist comes up and he says, why don't you worship on the Sabbath? Why do you worship on the first day of the week? Say, well, guess what? The early Christians, Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, worshiped on the first day of the week because we're under a new covenant now. We're not under the old covenant that was given to Jews and we're not told to worship on the Sabbath. In fact, we're told in Colossians chapter 2, let no one judge you according to a Sabbath day. That was a mere shadow. The reality is in Christ. He is now our rest. Amen. But then guess, guess what else? 
It's not only part of the new covenant, it's a new creation day. Because the Bible says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ephesians 2.10. Amen. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 that circumcision and uncircumcision avails nothing. It's a new creation. Amen. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. Amen. So we worship now on the first day of the week because there's a new creation that day for us. Amen. Sunday when he rose from the dead. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. Amen. The first fruits among many brethren on that day and it transformed the church and those Jews who worshiped on Saturday began to worship on Sunday. Number 10. Okay. Praise the Lord. Number 10. The resurrection of Christ gives us supreme hope and confidence in God's word. Amen. Guess what? Don't have to ever doubt whether this is true. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead shows you his word is true and his promises are yes and amen. Amen. How do I know that I could be raised, I'm going to be raised to the dead in the future? How do I know when I die before the resurrection, I get to go be with the Father? How do I know there's going to be a new heaven and new earth? How do I know all these promises are true? Because he is risen. Amen. He proved the validity of his word. Not that he needed to do that to prove the validity of his word. He already had prophecy fulfilled, all kinds of things. But guess what? I just love that explanation point. Boom. He's risen. Amen. He is so heavy. He is so awesome. And therefore, like the sisters who saw the resurrected Christ, the empty tomb of the resurrected Christ, they went and witnessed to the disciples. He's risen because they weren't believing at that point. They're like, what's going on here? We ought to be witnesses and we ought to have great joy. Amen. My daughter Holly was sharing with me that she was so convicted that she needs to witness more. And Holly witnesses more than just about anybody I know. But she was like, wow, I was sitting outside. I was waiting outside. I just got groceries or whatever they got or things from Target or somewhere, and, and she said that, you know, there, I don't know how many of them were there, but they were waiting out front for Nico was still going, and, and Nico was witnessing to somebody inside, and, and, or maybe just standing outside, I don't know exactly what it was, and, and little Justice, you know, in his little scratchy voice, does Nico have to witness to everyone, you know, and, uh, and, mommy's like, and mom's like, well, the Bible tells us to witness and share the gospel with everybody, you know, sure, you're supposed to preach to every creature, and then Justice like, well, why didn't you share with the checker lady, you know? And what about the people in line? And somebody goes, but what about that guy? And what about that lady, you know? And he's just like trying to get, you know, what are you witnessing to them? <laughs> he wanted to go, I think, you know, how little kids are. But he also witnessed too. But uh, so Holly's like, so man, I just got done sharing with someone telling me, hey, dad, I just got done sharing with the guy. I gave, I witnessed to him, reasons to believe, all that stuff. And then I, then I gave him my testimony. And then I gave him Chad's testimony, and then I gave them your testimony. And if you know Holly, she's more detailed than I am, I think, in some ways. And I'm like, you should have told him that if you do not repent, in hell, this conversation will be played in an eternal loop forever. You know? <laughs> and you're going to have no rest day or night. And, and I surely would have brought him to his knees, you know. Uh, anyway, sometimes I was sharing that I do, and I share with people after I share with them. If you, if you don't turn to Christ and receive eternal salvation, this conversation is going to be played back to you perhaps. Or you're going to be thinking about it in hell and it's going to haunt you that you had opportunity to have eternal life but you rejected it. Why would you not turn and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved? I'll plead with people and I'll tell you what, man. If you're hearing today, you have no excuse if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps it's this sermon that you'll hear throughout eternity that you could have had eternal life, but you wanted to be your own God and do your own thing. Jesus said, he that's not with me is against me. You're the former against me. He doesn't leave you any neutral ground. You're either for Christ or antichrist. Don't be antichrist. Bow the knee because you're going to bow the knee for all eternity in heaven or in hell or in God's presence on the earth. 
You don't want that to happen. Turn to him now and repent and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen? He came so you could be saved. He didn't have to do that. He could have just wipe us all out. Saying, what a lot of wicked people there. But God became a man. It just blows you away. Died for our sins. Lived a perfect life. Fulfilled the prophecies. Was buried. Rose again triumphantly. And here we are today with millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people professing faith in Christ, celebrating his resurrection, amen? If you have not embraced the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior yet, embrace him today, amen? Put your trust in him. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. He already paid the way for you to be saved and made a way to heaven for you, the only way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Come to him now before it's too late. Just simply repent, turn from that road in your heart that leads to destruction and turn to Jesus Christ and put your trust in him. And the Bible says you'll be saved. If you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. Do that right now if you haven't done that, amen? Let's all please stand while they pass out the cup and the bread.